Welcome to the Gate Crashers Podcast, where we storm the gates of publishing and dare to talk about the realities of the industry. I'm your Ivory Tower representative, Amanda Liedeke, literary agent and vice president at McGregor and Liedeke. And I'm your self-publishing insider, Therese Crow, novelist and speaker. Last week, we did part one of Editors Uncensored. I got so much feedback from editors just sharing their their things that they wanted to tell authors, their ideas, their thoughts. Um, we had to turn it into a two-parter. So this week, we are diving in to more of those uncensored thoughts from editors. Again, this was done anonymously. These are editors at midsize and large publishing houses, and they are editors who have been in the business for a while, so they know what they're talking about. So let's dive into uh, the words of advice that they want to share with everyone. Number six, something that kind of ticks off this editor. Uh, they said, sending me editorial feedback from your spouse. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know if I want that to be like just this one author that they work with whose spouse is just really insistent or if mm -hmm. it's such a large enough problem because that's a little hard to imagine that like the average author's spouse has like editorial feedback for the editor. Well, it's okay. It seems, and I, I agree with you. I don't know if it's like a very specific situation or if it's common, but I know from as an agent, spouses get involved a lot more than you'd think. Yeah. I mean, and they want to negotiate makes, the deal. Yeah. They oh. want to be on the publisher calls sometimes. Like if, Ew. if, yeah, if, if get the out. authors, if the author's fired up about something, Sometimes they'll just want their their spouse in there to, you know, tell the publisher what's what. And it's just like, no. <laughs> well, how do we avoid this? Yeah. So. I have to imagine as a publisher that if your author comes into a marketing call and needs their spouse there to tell you what yeah, you is what. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, not, that's not an author that's going to get a book two deal. It's, it's never a good move no. to have your spouse come in as your advocate. Right. Um, yeah. I could see where, I could see where you would have the phone on speaker where your spouse might be in the room with yeah. the explicit instructions of take notes, say nothing. Yep. So that you're not as distracted. That makes a lot of sense to me. The same way, like if you go to the doctor for something serious, they say, Bring somebody with you and have somebody else on the phone so you have three sets of ears listening to it mm -hmm. and you don't miss anything. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. But yeah, if your husband doesn't like the advertising strategy that your publisher has set out, yeah, I'm going to guess very, very, very low chance he has any idea what he's talking about. <sighs> you never know. I mean, goodness, you never know. I mean, the number of right. times, the number of times I've gotten, well, my so-and-so is a blah, blah, blah. And so therefore they know about this thing. Eh, they probably don't. Right. Um, and you know, a way around this is to just, okay, even if it came from your spouse and if it's something you want to ask, just pretend that you're the one who's asking. There it. you go. Don't, don't, don't you, you, you get no points by, by introducing your spouse into the conversation. So, right. so just take what they said and rephrase it yourself. And then no one's going to be like, right. Have that icky feeling. Right. Okay, number seven, C 
constantly emailing your acquisitions or editorial person with a stream of consciousness processing for every single decision or possible option for a cover title or manuscript issue. And then when a conclusion is reached, they say that these authors tend to then dig them up overnight and then want to call and discuss and go back and <laughs> forth. And they said, this is about anxiety and it shows a lack of confidence on the author's part. Mm. And, oh, amen. Like it is about <laughs> nitpicking. I mean, I, I deal with this um, with authors sometimes where it's just like floods of emails and you open your inbox and there's like six in the past hour. And you're just, what? <laughs> it is the most off-putting thing. Right. And it's not anything that has ever warmed me to that person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In fact, I'm not, I mean, I'm not working with the people anymore who do this kind of approach. Right. But yeah, the constant wanting to like, let's, let's revisit this. Let's revisit this. Let's keep talking about this. It's not good. I wonder if that was ever like, some well-meaning but terrible advice that was once upon a time given at writers' conferences. How do I stay on the forefront of my agent or my editor's mind? Email them incessantly. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, if you, need to, if you need to talk to your agent or your editor about these kinds of things, you definitely can. But the stream of consciousness, mm-hmm. no, it can't be that. If you have a concern that's valid then that concern should be something you're able to articulate pretty well. Yeah. And bullet points are your friends. Yeah. If you've got to, if you're bringing up other options, don't be wishy-washy about it. Say, these are the four, five, six I've come up with. Right. List them off. What are your thoughts on this? Right. Um, There's nothing worse than wading through a ton of emails and text messages and voice messages to try to get to the basis of what the author is asking for. Right. It's near impossible. Like when you, if somebody sends you half a novel as an email, that stream of consciousness and you have to hunt and peck for that information. Mm -hmm. Not only is it going to take you longer to get through, but I bet you close that email and go to others and deal with those ones first, because that one just seems like a headache to deal with. Yeah. As opposed to, all right, here's all the relevant information. And then I'm going to summarize. I need your specific responses on points one, two, and three. Yeah. That's nope. it. Oh, okay. Look, that's so easy. Oh, email made communication so much easier and then also so much harder. I right. Mean, that's, this is the result of that. Right. Um, the next one. <laughs> you cannot believe how little some of the things you are worrying about matter to chain book buyers <laughs> Or paying consumers. I really want to know like what it is people are stressing about. Oh, well. <laughs> Give me some examples, Amanda. People, authors will stress over the font used. Authors will stress over the color or the shade or the, you know, where the tree is positioned or oh. um, the um, title and subtitle I understand. Right. Um, but many times, sometimes authors will stress over the littlest change between title and subtitle. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like an overhaul that they're wanting. They just want like one word tweaked. And if we can get that one word right, well, I mean, as this editor is saying, well, that really doesn't matter in the end, you know. Right. The chains, the consumers, they're not going to be 
turned off by, you know, if you're using one word instead of another. Right. Um, or if the pine tree in the background is a little too far right or needs to be adjusted left or whatever right. it is. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so there's just so many things that I, I think authors who are, and this happens many times to authors who are more of the type A personality. And so it's a blessing and a curse because those authors are amazing at just being workhorses and getting, getting, you know, like yeah, getting stuff done and getting opportunities and being their own advocate. And then at the same time, but they also deal with this other side of that approach and that is obsessing over the details. So, um, and then last, (laughs) I love this one, this, uh, this particular editor wanted wants their authors to know that they are fed up with the phrase, quote, my fans want, end quote. Uh, so like my fans want X or my fans want Y. Um, they said, unless you're a household name or are able to sustain yourself on your writing earnings, my experience is that your fans are too often vocal people who are quick to line up for pre-release free copies. Um, and that's true. I've worked with authors who will say, well, my fans want another book in this series. You know, my fans want me to write a whole series about this side character. My fans want a whole book about, you know, and nine times out of 10, first of all, these fans that they're talking about, it's like 10 people, right? (laughs) It's not like this avid, big consumer group that's gonna make it a bestseller instantly right like 10 people um and as this author or as this editor indicated they tend to be the people who are getting the free copies anyway right yeah so my fans want or my readers want or my my readers are asking for and many times again many times that comes from a couple of emails that the author has received and you Mm -hmm. know it feels good to know that people want more from you Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that there's a financial responsibility no. there. And you um, shouldn't let your own creative direction be completely dictated by a couple of voices either. Mm-hmm. Like the, yeah, the idea of I'm going to write an entire series based on this one side character. Like it can yeah. be really fun because a lot of times those side characters are just so larger than life because they don't have to deal with problems the way mm-hmm. that our hero does. They don't actually have to solve anything. Right. And so sometimes like a really great fun side character is a terrible hero mm-hmm. for, for a whole novel or a whole series. Yeah. That's one of those things that readers think this would be amazing. And I think a lot of writers very much understand, no, it, it wouldn't. You wouldn't actually like Harry Potter from the point of view of Scabbers. That would get old <laughs> really fast. I mean, again, if you're a best-selling novelist, I could see doing a spin-off series of your quaint mm-hmm. little town. Sure, that might work. Mm-hmm. But if you're just, you know, someone who's mid-list or struggling, those spin-offs are not going to put you where you want to go. Right. So. And if you really feel that strongly, I mean, clear it with your publisher first, but mm. this is, that's the kind of content that can make really good, like, blog posts. 
like right. serial blogging of just a couple thousand words. Yeah. Maybe every couple of weeks. Yeah. Or and then you're not or- exactly like, and you're, then you're not committing yourself to, well, now I've got to write five books from the perspective of somebody who I'm not sure is got a story that's interesting past 30,000 words, you right. know? Right. And isn't there a rule that like, at least in traditional publishing, there's a rule and I might completely botch this, but for every book that comes in a series after book one, the sales tend to have. So if book one sells 50,000 copies, book two is going to sell 25,000 copies. Book three is going to sell 12,500. And of course that depends on who you are. (laughs) Big name guys are going to, it's going to be different. Um, But it, and, and again, those numbers aren't necessarily exact, but that's like the rule of thumb that I, for some reason, I remember hearing somewhere. I was in, it was the last time I was able to go to a writer's conference and they were talking about that a little bit. And it was, it was in the context of how much should you be spending on your advertising? And part of that is knowing that if you sell a hundred of book one, okay, well, how many people yeah. are going to buy book two? It might only be 65. Yeah. But if they're buying book two, they're much, much more likely. It's like an 80% chance that they'll buy book three and book four and book five. Yeah. So once they actually show a commitment to investment by the end of book two, that's a real reader. But yeah. That drop-off can be, but that's also based around, um, you know, an accelerated self-publishing schedule. Right. Which is different than what traditional yeah. can do. It's very Because, yeah, waiting, waiting for that book can sometimes make yeah. you forget that the series even existed. <sighs> the reason why trilogies work so well. So there you have it. Editors uncensored. Thoughts that they have, feelings they have, things that they've been dying to tell their authors, but just can't because it's unprofessional. Uh, or it would be really hard <laughs> on the relationship. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Gate Crashers podcast. If you found value in this episode or in any of the episodes we've done, you can drop a tip in our tip jar. Send a tip via PayPal. Simply use our link, paypal.me slash gatecrashers, or log into PayPal and search us using our username, which is at gatecrashers. And be sure to be here next week for a brand new episode.